Dragon boats and zongzi. When you see these, you know what time of year it is, right? That's right. It's the Dragon Boat Festival. We'll be talking about that and more in today's show. I am Natalie So, and I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's check out what's on our radar. Taiwan's new indigenous advanced jet trainer, the Brave Eagle, took off on its inaugural flight on Monday. The plane is among the world's most advanced fifth-generation trainer aircraft. The military aims to have 66 units delivered by 2026 to replace older trainer aircraft. With temperatures soaring to record highs this week, Taiwan Power Company says the nation's power usage was the highest so far this year. Air conditioners are a big reason for this. The company suggests using curtains to keep out the sun and setting the temperature to no lower than 26 degrees Celsius. In the run-up to the Dragon Boat Festival, the Tourism Bureau is showcasing 130 tourist sites across Taiwan that are accessible for people who use wheelchairs and people with limited mobility. These sites include scenic spots like the peaceful Liyu Lake in Hualien and Taidong's grassy Luye Highlands. And under the radar this week, it's two graduation ceremonies unlike any other. A school in Hualien is making its students work for their graduation certificate. A series of athletic events culminates in a mini-recreation of the grueling final test that Taiwan's elite frogmen undergo. Another school in Ilan is sending its kids out to sea for graduation. Or should we say, bon voyage, as they embark on the next leg of their journey. It's time for our words of the week. Andrew, ready to guess? Yes. Holiday. Prism <laughs> Pride. That's right. It's times like this during the holidays where we have a lot of pride in our culture and our food. Also, we have two special guests on who exude Taiwanese pride. They are the first Taiwanese-American Miss Asian America, Stephanie Lin, and the founder of TaiwaneseAmerican.org, Dr. Ho Chi Tsai. They're going to be playing a brand new game we call Taiwan Face-Off. It's a lot of fun, so do stay tuned for that. Can I add something to your word? Yes. Did you know that June is often considered Pride Month for the LGBTQ I had community? No idea. And so this year, actually, Taiwan usually has Pride in October, but this weekend they're going to have a little parade, and it's going to be the only one in the world. So all kinds of pride going along. That's right. right. <laughs> going around. Absolutely. Right. You ready for my word? Sure. All right. Let's have a look. Tim, tiny, time. 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 Do you know, whenever we have a holiday, I always think about the passage of time. And it's, it's so deep, Andrew. I know. It's, <laughs> I try to be deep sometimes. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because we're already halfway through the year. Um, but yet the pandemic seems like it's slowed time down. So it's kind of like this weird play between fast and slow. But also two things to keep in mind. We do have two stories that are very closely related to time in today's show. That's right. The eclipse, which you have had to have seen at just the right time, which, uh, spoiler alert, I didn't see. And the other thing is the dragon boat races that are coming up this weekend. We're always looking for who has the fastest time. Great. All right, let's put these on the shelf. Joining us now in the studio is Leslie Liao. Now, Leslie, over the weekend, we sent you out on a mission. That's right. I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, so I drove down to Jiayi City in southern Taiwan, and I brought back footage for y'all. Awesome. Let's check it out. They say it's going to be 195 years before it happens again, an annular solar eclipse. But only certain parts of Taiwan will see the characteristic ring of fire. The phenomenon happens when the moon blocks out 99% of the sun, leaving only a bright orange outer ring. 
The night before I leave, people are still clamoring to buy the special eyewear needed to view the eclipse. As I drive down on Sunday morning, cloudy skies are threatening to ruin the show. But by 2.44 in the afternoon, when the event begins, the clouds have thinned. The first vestiges of the moon's shadow become visible. The sun is so bright that the special eyewear I bought isn't enough. I switch to glass used by welders to view the eclipse. Then the wait begins. Nearly two hours later, at exactly 4.13 and 55 seconds, the moment we've been waiting for, the ring of fire. People let out cheers of excitement and even set off fireworks in celebration. So we're in Jiayi right now and the ring of fires just passed over us. Actually, you can see that the sky is a lot darker than it usually should be. And it's pretty funny because the weather kind of cooled down and it's actually pretty comfortable about here. Whereas it was really hot and muggy during the day. The crowd here was ecstatic. We heard a few fireworks go off. Uh, let me just show you what we're working with. We're on the rooftop of the place where I'm staying at and everybody is just fraught with excitement and a lot of fun so that was the eclipse and looking at it and just watching the sun, moon move slowly over the sun until it formed that ring lasted probably about 20 seconds but it was really really gorgeous and I'm glad I came down here and made the trip for it it was a once-in-a-lifetime chance next time it's gonna happen is 195 years the ring of fire lasts a mere 20 seconds or so. I think my friend Chris said it best when he said, Short as it was, in the moment, I can't help but feel like I've become a part of history. That was cool. Now, Leslie, was it worth a six-hour trip to and from Jai? Um, I'm not going to lie to you, Natalie. There were moments where I was driving down and I was being like, what am I doing? <laughs> it really was worth it in the end. Um... Luckily, I won't have to do it for another 195 years, so <laughs> it was very worth it. Now, where were you standing? It looked like you were standing on top of a building. Yeah, that was the place I was staying. It was the okay. hotel, mm -hmm. and uh, I plan to go to Nan Gu Gong Yuan, so mm -hmm. National Palace Museum, Ooh. the southern branch. Mm -hmm. nice. But when I checked in, they were just like, we have a rooftop party. Oh, that's like, perfect. Rooftop. It looked like yeah. a nice private you know, party. Yeah. Wonderful. Very nice. Did you get to see it, Natalie? I did not. I didn't have any glasses or anything. I was in Gaoshou. I could have caught it with some others, but mm. not prepared like you. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't prepared either. I was sleeping. <laughs> in today's Taiwan Explained, we're going to be talking about the dragon boat races which are going up this weekend. And to have a little bit more fun with it, we're doing it as a quiz. Yay! So on buzzer number one, we have Natalie So. Buzzer number two, we have Leslie Dow. And I'm correct in assuming that neither one of you has done dragon boat races before. That's right. That is the truth. We look like we can handle it right now. <laughs> I think you'd be great. What are you talking about? The Taiwan Insider team. Now, I have done dragon boat racing before, but it was many, many, many years ago. If you guys do well enough in this quiz, I will show you some photos. Oh, I like from, to see those. Big money. A, from a long time ago. Leslie's perked up. He's Playing for now. big money. Playing for big money. Let's go. <laughs> Just a little hint, I actually have a lot of hair in those photos, so you'll want to watch all the way to the end of today's show. Are you ready? Yes. First question. What do dragon boaters use to propel themselves forward? Oars. Leslie. Oars? Oars. Wrong. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, keep thinking, Paddles. Guys. Pa paddles. Oh. That is correct. Let's have a look at the answer. 
Oh, paddles, paddles, yeah. Oh, paddles. okay. This is right. very important. So paddling is what they do on dragon boats. Uh, in canoes, they also paddle. But when you're rowing, that is when you use oars. Mm -hmm. uh, Natalie, can you show me how you would use a paddle in a dragon boat? Like this? I have no idea. Leslie? Like this? Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you guys are doing exactly right. Are so you basically, serious? you hold the paddle with two hands and you pull alongside the boat, propelling yourself forward. Uh -huh. So the difference with rowing is you use an oar, it's affixed to the side of the boat usually, and you use it as a lever to push yourself backwards. Uh -huh. So with dragon boat, you're going forwards. With a rowing, in a rowing boat, you're with crew, you're going backwards. I didn't realize. And crew is on two sides, right? Uh, well, it or can is it be. Just one on each side? I, mean, uh, I think it's usually on one side as okay. well. Okay. Yeah. So kayaking could be on two sides. Okay. Mm. But now we're getting too complex for me. Is <laughs> <laughs> above my pay grade. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next question. How many people are in a standard dragon boat at the Taipei International Dragon Boat Races? Whoever gets closest gets the point. The people who the team. are in the boat. How many people in a boat? Yep. Leslie. 14. 14? 16. 16? All right, let's have a look at the answer. Oh, wow, that many people. 21 is a, a big standard team. boat. The smaller boats have fewer people. But if you look at that picture, you'll see at the very front of the boat is the flag catcher. And what happens is at the end of the race, the flag catcher has to jump up, grab the flag, and whoever grabs the flag wins. Okay, so that's oh. very important. Um, also, you have a drummer, who's usually the coach, a steers person, who's in the back. That's a tough job. And then you have 18 paddlers. Hmm. So 21 cool. is standard. No idea. That's really cool. How long is the race in Taipei? Like distance. Oh, I don't oh, know how long I does it take. Time. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Two, two, I don't know. Rowing. Two kilometers. Two kilometers. Okay. Rowing. That's I have no a idea. That's spaghetti arms. <laughs> uh, Leslie, what are you going to uh, say? 300 meters. 300 meters? All right, let's have a look at the answer. 500 oh. meters. 500 meters is, do you, how long do you think it takes? I don't know. For a fast <laughs> team. I'll tell you the answer. Yeah. This is too hard. It, usually the first place team, it takes about two minutes and 40 seconds, 30 to 40 seconds for the first place uh, cool. team to come in. And when you're rowing, or where you're paddling, sorry, I say I said it wrong. When you're paddling full speed, that is a lot of energy. Yeah, it sounds... I know people get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to practice for, for weeks, right? I did. I did for a couple months. Six months. Six, months. To, six to nine every morning, uh, Monday through Friday, to prepare for it. Um, and a good uh, workout. I think you guys did well good enough training. to okay. uh, see some pictures. Yes. All right. We so want to see the pictures. Let's have a look at uh, a very young Andrew uh, doing Dragon Boat. Oh, look at that. Wow. Upper right-hand corner, that is me holding the National Taiwan Normal University Mandarin Training Center flag. Ooh. The top left is us uh, in the boats. Uh, that's our team pulling ahead. Bottom left, you can see we actually won the international division at the Taipei race. We then lost by like three boat lengths to some strapping young lads. Firemen, if I remember correctly. Oh. Firemen, wow. <laughs> that's, that's tough. We forgive you for tough. that. Oof. Uh, and then another look at the photo there. In the bottom right-hand corner uh, is uh, you can see me in a boat 
and the arrow is pointing to me. Cool. So you can see I was you actually look so invoked. healthy. I, I did back then. <laughs> so fit. <No. laughs> and so hairy on top of my head. <laughs> so there you have it. Um, I hope that everybody will check out the uh, races. Uh, we're going to leave a uh, link to the official website for the races on Friday and Saturday this year in the show notes below. If you have a, an opportunity, do check it out. It's a great time. Uh, and it'll be uh, a great way to celebrate the Dragon Boat Festival. Have you ever wondered how many Taiwanese items you have in your home? And what those things say about your connection to Taiwan? Well, that's what our new game, Taiwan Face-Off, is all about. You've played it before. Was it fun? Yeah, I lost to Mr. Dragon <laughs> over there, so... <laughs> I still have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week we've invited two very fascinating Taiwanese Americans in Northern California to play. Welcome to another Taiwan Face-Off. I'm very happy to have with me, um, right next to me, Stephanie Lin. She is the first Taiwanese American Miss Asian America, also award-winning TV reporter at KCRA based in Sacramento. But you look like you're in Taipei right now. What is that behind you? Yeah, I, I have Taipei 101 behind behind me. So uh, I wanted to get into the, the spirit of things. So uh, I, I put this up as a, as a backdrop. Now, I love how much Taiwanese American pride both of you have. And we also have with us the founder of TaiwaneseAmerican.org, Ho Chi Tsai, who is also a doctor by day, sometimes at night as well. Actually, I work mostly at night. I do a lot of <laughs> nighttime shifts, actually. If you guys know the rules, let me tell you just very quickly. I'm going to name off cool. one category of item, and you can bring as many that fall in that category as you want and share with us, okay? So the first thing is what we all love, Taiwanese snacks. Uh, one of those Yakult sort of uh, gummies. Oh, wow. I'm not sure if that's really Taiwanese, but you know. And then obviously there's the real thing. Wow. I've got... Uh, that's two points. <laughs> chocolate, does that count? From Taiwan? Sure. Boba chocolate. Boba-covered chocolate. chocolate. You mean the tapioca pearls are chocolate flavor? Yeah, the pearls are inside and it's covered with chocolate. It's from like the 7-Eleven in Taiwan. It's not quite snack, but wow. it's only the patang. Wow. <laughs> Getting ready for Dragon Boat, right? <laughs> the little ice cream bars, the boba. Oh. With oh, boba-flavored boba with boba inside. Oh, that's great. So you're eating a lot of boba-related stuff all the time, huh? Yeah, this is so bad. It just kind of reveals how bad my uh, diet is sometimes. <laughs> that's yeah. a good drink. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, awesome. I love this. This is very good. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> Can you see this? And then I also have more healthy food. I have this. And I have... Enjoyment. Mm. Ah. So that's four for uh, Stephanie and six for Ho Chi. Yay, you guys are great. Now the next item is a rice cooker. Yay! Wow, that's my nice. rice cooker. Oh, see, that counts. That's awesome. Okay, the next item or items are T-shirts with something related to Taiwan on it. Oh, T-shirts with something related to Taiwan. I'm sure you have. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> oh, this this is gonna totally be not fair. <laughs> I only brought a small stack, and here's some of them. Wow, <laughs> that shows how much Taiwanese pride you have. It's just, it's just, it just shows how old I am and how long I've been going to Taiwanese American community events and conferences. Which one of some of your favorite ones? One of my favorites is still the the eyewear bubble tees design. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, oh, speaking of rice cookers, I should have even thought of this. Like one of our other past T-shirts was one with 
a little rice cooker design oh, on that as well. Wow. Our most popular one was the uh, stinky tofu. Oh, wow. This is great. The tofu walks alone. <laughs> Plug for my Boba Guys friends, but they're, I guess the only thing is Taiwanese about it is the Boba Guys. From 10 years ago, this is the write-in Taiwanese campaign for the U.S. Census. So we want people to identify um, their heritage as Taiwanese uh, so that we can get counted and obviously um, um, have the recognition we deserve as a community. Uh, so and along with that comes funding. Okay, I'll give you 10 points for all those shirts. All right, yeah, there's going to be a maximum on that one. I do have a fair number of shirts that are Taiwan-related. They're just back in San Jose. I'm in Sacramento right now. Um, so this is the one that I do have, which is, uh, this is actually from the Taiwanese American Cultural Festival, too. The performers actually gave me this one. Okay. So one more thing for you guys to look for, a picture of you in Taiwan. For a period of time, I was a spokesperson for the Taiwanese fashion brand Melita. Uh -huh. So this is me in one of the malls. I think it's when I'm, I was in Ximending, and there's this giant, I'm staying next to a giant thing of boba. Oh, this is of you and me, Natalie. Uh <laughs> Nice. That was a lot of fun. You're a great okay. interviewer. I'm going to give you like six points for all that, right? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll take six points. I'll do it. <laughs> Extra points. So you have 12 points now. But Hoshi already has 17 points because of all those t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting up as best of a fight as I can. All right. I've got a couple of photos. Uh, so I was in Taiwan with my dad uh, uh, back in January of 2019. So here's one of our destinations. This is a uh, at um, the Shinbeto uh, Hot Springs, one of the hotels. We went to um, the top of Ali San and uh, to watch the, the sunset. And to get there, you have to actually take the, the old rail trains. Oh, that's such a cute train. Oh, that's beautiful. Hochi one. <laughs> oh, that's it. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say I have an unfair advantage. I have like tons of Taiwanese American stuff sitting around. People send me things all the time and I collect things and I have a huge library of Oh, wow. stuff, so wow. I, it's totally not fair to Stephanie, and I admit that. <laughs> what do you guys miss most about Taiwan? Cousins, uncles, aunts. Uh, obviously, the food is a big one, but just the, the, the ambiance, going out to the temple and you smell the incense and you see the people praying there, just scenes like that. You, you don't get that here in the U.S., and I, and I do miss that. Mm. Yeah, I, that's similar for me. I, there was that particular hour at, toward the end of the day when the sun's setting and the it's starting to feel a little cooler and you start to get a sense that people are coming out towards the night markets and the nighttime activities walking around. And um, for some reason that just has uh, just a, like a super nice nostalgic sort of feeling for me uh, from all the times I visited Taiwan. Great. Well, we hope you guys come back soon and uh, thank you for promoting so much Taiwanese American pride in, in America. It's wonderful what you guys are doing. Thanks Natalie. Bye. Thank you. Take care. Stay healthy, everybody. Going to finish off today with some zongzi and these a uh, little shout out to my uh, godmother down in Taidong, Tamama. These are uh, handmade by her. They smell they really look good, so man. Good. And she wraps hers in shellflower leaves, so they they have the fragrance of the leaves. Awesome. Oh, that's good. We don't want to make you feel mm. bad. That's really good. Mmm. Mmm. Mm. So there's pork in here and mushrooms. Mmm. Thank you so much. A very happy Dragon Boat Festival to all of you. Mm-hmm. We want to thank you for joining us for this inside look at Taiwan this week. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Happy Dragon Boat Festival. 
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Protests in support of the Black Lives Matter movement have been going on globally this past month, and Taiwan is no exception. A rally was recently held in Taipei, and today we hear from two of the founders of the Black Lives Solidarity Global Initiative. Toy Windham and Stephanie Davis are based here in Taiwan, and they organized the rally in Taipei. They tell us first why it was important to hold a rally in Taiwan. It's important to have something like this because we are black. That's the first thing. Um, and we live here in Taiwan. So we wanted to bring awareness about the things that are happening in the U.S. and how those things still affect us. And then bringing awareness to Taiwanese people to show that they need to know about the things that we're affected by. And I think also in, in, in addition to that, it was also important for some of us who have been active in the movement back at home to be able to have an actual moving thing to be able to participate in here in Taiwan. Yes, as Toy said, um, the issues are not related to Taiwan. It's related to being back in America, but it's important for us to be able to physically do something. And this was one of the ways of doing so. And as we did this rally, it also allowed us to fundraise, to send money back to organizations that could be able to help stop injustices and police brutality. Wyndham and Davis tell us how they felt when they were on stage witnessing the rally in Taiwan. Honestly, the first thought that went through my mind was, holy moly. Wow. We did it. <laughs> this is real. This is happening. This, the mm -hmm. people are here and they're ready to listen. Yeah. And it was just a breath of fresh air. All the hard work was for not was was valid. We did it for a reason, mm -hmm. and it just was really breathtaking. Honestly, the 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 energy at the park it was just overwhelming. It was um, invigorating because we were able to see so many people from so many different communities around Taiwan come and support this movement. Um, I know I had some friends from Taichung come all the way up, and from Kaohsiung and all over Taipei, local people and foreigners alike all showed up, showed their support and showed their love. So it was really encouraging because we've, we've been overwhelmed by so many negative, um, negative things in the news and the media. And, and it was really nice to have a, a positive image, a positive just love from everyone. They also share about the most memorable points in the rally for them. The main thing that I've been thinking about the most has really been the eight minutes and 46 seconds of mm -hmm. silence um, that we did for George Floyd. Um, one of the things that I was able to talk with my students about, and, and this is why it's important to me, was because I was able to explain to them why that was important and why his death means so much to me, because it could have been me. Mm -hmm. We don't I know I don't check money here in here in Taiwan or in America. I don't have that little marker that they have back in the States to see if it's counterfeit. And so I get money from one location, spend it in another. And I just think that it's real. And so if a store owner came to me and said, this is fake, I would also be confused and say, what do you mean? 
And so for that situation to go the way that it did, I just personally felt that it could have been me. And that's why it felt so real. During the rally, they had an eight minute, 46 second time of silence, which was the exact time the officer knelt on George Floyd's neck, which ended up killing him. It felt very long. And for someone to deliberately do that to another human um, says a lot. Um, it was just really overwhelming standing there um, with all the other organizers and just feeling that and just feeling the amount of time that it took. And not not one not at any point during that did that particular police officer or any of the other ones do anything to stop it. And there were in the video you see other people trying to tell the police officers to stop and George Floyd also saying, I can't breathe and it's it's just mind boggling. I I don't know how someone can do that to another person. There was also a moment during the rally where everyone knelt down. Wyndham and Davis explain why. There were several of us that were very adamant about including Colin Kaepernick's moment, right, of kneeling. Mm -hmm. And the reason why he was doing it needed to be explicit. It mm -hmm. wasn't about the flag. It wasn't about or the, the military. anthem at all. It, no. Right. It wasn't about the anthem. It was truly about the police brutality and the injustices that black Americans are dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason for him kneeling was just his way of being able to say it should end because mm -hmm. the anthem truly is about slavery. And so that moment was very important for all of us um, to be because that's really kind of where it started is the physical uh, view of being able to stand in solidarity with someone was by kneeling during the anthem. They also share how they felt the rally in Taiwan differed from those in the U.S. It differs because it was more positive. It's It showed that we are here peacefully and we're showing that we support this movement. Um, I know in the U.S. there is some animosity or some anger behind it, and rightfully so. But for us here being in Taiwan, this is, we are not citizens here, for one. And then two, we still wanted to show our love and our support and show our brothers and sisters back home, like, hey, we're, we're here for you guys. We're doing this with you guys. Um, and not just us as black people, but everyone here in Taiwan um, that want to be involved are here to support. And for me, it's a little bit different because in Ferguson, right, back in 2016, going to those protests and those rallies, it's different because the demographic of the audience is very similar. There is obviously going to be other cultures that have jo that joined us back in Ferguson. Um, but here, the majority culture is Taiwanese. Mm -hmm. And so that is the majority of what we saw, which was great. And it was very refreshing because it helped me understand that, oh, there are people who don't look like me that do understand where mm -hmm. I'm coming from. They may not ever experience it in the same way, but they do at least 
have empathy towards me experiencing mm -hmm. this. And so it's different because of that aspect, but also the same in the sense of we were all there for a peaceful reason and mm -hmm. we were all there collectively in unity to say that these th these things that should not be happening should stop and it should end. She also explained, though, how the energy differed when she was protesting in Ferguson. Yeah, I would definitely say there's more urgency, right? Mm -hmm. We need change to happen now. We're here in the streets protesting and saying that these things are wrong to the police's mm -hmm. face. These things that maybe not you personally are doing, but the entire force, the force you work for is is wrong and it needs to change. And the reason that's different for Taiwan is we were not saying the Taiwanese police were wrong. Mm -hmm. We were saying, we were voicing our opinion to say, no, back at home, these things, these injustices are still wrong. And we want to stand here and ask the people that are here to stand with us in solidarity and in unity to say, yes, we also agree that the things happening to black people around the world is wrong and it should stop. And also um, with it being in the States, like people who are protesting and holding rallies at those actual rallies, they're still facing those same forces facing the police there and those threats that something could happen to them because the police officers feel a certain way or are going to act a certain way. So for us, yeah, it had nothing it has nothing to do with Taiwan as a country or the police, but that's just where we are physically. We felt like we had to act. One aspect of the Black Lives Matter rally in Taipei that was unique to Taiwan was they let indigenous peoples open. The rally. It's important because the indigenous people here in Taiwan also face some form of discrimination. It may not be the same or to the same level as what we may face as black people in America or other black people in different countries, but they have faced some injustices um, here in Taiwan over the course of history. And so we felt it was important to have them included yeah. and show that we are working together. We're working in solidarity so that we can support one another um, because, and the indigenous people come across various different groups too. For them to show up from different uh, indigenous, indigenous tribes was also important too. And this is, I mean, when you put it simply, this is also their land to begin with. We are, we as black people, as foreigners, so we also had to pay our respect and acknowledge them at the same time. That was Toy Windham and Stephanie Davis, the founders of the Black Lives Solidarity Global Initiative. They are based here in Taipei, and next week they will share more about what it's like being black in Taiwan versus in America. Next up, our news quiz. <laughs> The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. In our news quiz 
this week. I'm going to see if these two guys have been paying attention to anything else besides the eclipse. Uh, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 60 seconds to guess as many questions as you can. Ready, go. Who is the KMT candidate for the Gaussian by-election? Uh, it's one of the legis- uh, the, uh, the I city council this morning. Woman. I can't remember it's a her woman. name. Gaussian city council. Lee. Li Meizhen. Very good. Li Meizhen. Good job. What important plane took off on its inaugural flight on Monday? Uh, indigenous. Brave Eagle. Brave, uh, Brave Eagle. Trainer. Great. It's indigenous our indigenous jet advanced jet trainer. Good job. How many times have Chinese military jets flown around Taiwan this month? Ten times? Nine times? Seven times. Oh, no. Feels like ten times, right? <laughs> this Tuesday, Taiwan saw the highest temperatures of the year. They're also the second highest June temperature since 1896. How hot was it? 38.4 degrees. Very good. That's 101 yes. degrees Fahrenheit. Whoa. What does Elan County plan to call the Diaoyi Tais after Japan changed the name to Tono oh. Shiro Senkakus? I know this. It's Tochen Diaoyi Tai. Very good, yeah. Andrew. Okay, where was Health Minister Chen Shizong this week to promote the arts? Oh. He was at a movie theater. That's right. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not sure which movie theater. It doesn't but he matter. Was at movie theater. Movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and a bonus question. Yep. Who has been adjusting well after being released for about a month? Is it an animal? It's a Formosan yeah. black bear. I That's think. right. <laughs> Let's take a look at the picture. Formosan black bear cub is named Mulas. And he was orphaned last year. Um, the Taidong the force officials took him in for 10 months, trained him on survival skills. And you know, in the past month, he's climbed the equivalent of 6,000 stories. Oh, whoa. Out in the wild. So he's, he's very active and healthy and doing well. Bear. I love Formosan <laughs> black bears, man. They're so great. They're a wonderful animal. So, uh, uh, that is our news quiz for the week. That is Taiwan Today for the week. Thank you for joining me. I am Natalie So, and I'll see you next week. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. To the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination, the 19th century. It's said that Taiwan has four famous gardens, each one a masterpiece of late imperial Chinese rule. But one of these is more than just a garden. Here, the layers of Taiwan's history collide, all within the space of a leisurely stroll. This is Wu's Garden, 
a central landmark in the southern city of Tainan, and the legacy left behind by one of the city's wealthy inhabitants. Here to tell us more about Wu's Garden and its history is Ye Zhe-shan, head of Tainan's Cultural Affairs Bureau. Wu Shaxin is also Wu Shangxin was a man who made a great amount of money during his lifetime. He was born around 1795 into a world in which salt could bring fabulous riches. This isn't just because salt is necessary for life, which it is, or because the techniques used to produce salt at the time were labor-intensive, which they were. Salt was a source of wealth because it was subject to a government monopoly, a monopoly Wu Shangxin happened to get in on. The city of Tainan, sitting atop the marshes of Taiwan's southwest coast, is a great spot for salt production. But there was a problem. The salt pans among the coastal lagoons were often washed away by natural disasters like typhoons. Wu had the fortune of being asked by the local prefect to open a new source of salt. This he did, going northward into what's now the next county over from Tainan. There, somewhere near what's now a small harbor town, he built up a more secure source of salt. Not only that, Mr. Ye says, but he also improved the existing techniques to increase yields and quality. Mr. Ye says that sometime around 180 years ago, the prosperous salt merchant ordered a garden to be built. To get the land he would need for it, it's said that he first bought a historically significant house, a house dating back to Tainan's earlier days as a Dutch outpost over a century before. Back then, this land was home to He Bin, a Dutch-Chinese translator. He was part of the cast of characters, all by then beyond living memory, who'd been involved in the dramatic downfall of the Dutch colony here. Now, this land was the property of the salt merchant Wu Shangxin, and it was incorporated into his garden-building project. Mr. Ye says that the garden occupied the center courtyard of his home, which, in the traditional manner, was made up of four wings forming a square. A garden of the scale Wu Shangxin was thinking of was a rarity in Taiwan, which was considered to be on the edges of the empire. Still, the island was home to people like Wu Shangxin, who Mr. Ye says would have crossed the Taiwan Strait regularly on business. On his trips to mainland China, he would have picked up ideas about cultural taste. One architectural source notes similarities between Wu's garden and gardens in the city of Zhangzhou, a coastal city on the opposite side of the Taiwan Strait. Certainly, at least, the designers and craftsmen involved in building Wu's garden did come from mainland China. Gardens in this period weren't just there to look pretty or to provide a brief respite from work. For someone of Wu Shangxin's stature, they were places where important and cultured guests would have gathered to do things like recite poetry. 
台南这个地方就是政治啊、经济啊、文化的一个中心，所以这些文人雅士都聚集。The city of Tainan had long been the capital and center of Chinese culture on Taiwan, and so Tainan was where many of the sorts of wealthy and scholarly people who might be invited to a garden like this were concentrated. Today, Mr. Ye says it's still possible to see where cultural activities would have taken place. A sort of pavilion remains standing where the sophisticated Nanguan music, appreciated by the upper class, would have once been performed. Other features of Wu's garden that would have impressed distinguished guests included a fine pond, perfect for reflecting the moon, and what was called a false mountain, a craggy stone pile meant to imitate real mountains in miniature. It's said that Wu Shangxin once buried part of his worldly treasure beneath this mountain, and a path still allows visitors to explore its rocky crevices today. By the time of Wu Shangxin's death in 1848, the garden would have been well known to locals, and it was on its way to being celebrated as one of Taiwan's four great gardens. But much of its original layout is something visitors today can only imagine. That's because by the time of Wu Shangxin's grandson, times had changed. In 1895, imperial Chinese rule came to an end, and in its place came 50 years of colonial rule from Japan. At first, the Japanese authorities made use of the esteem Wu's Garden already held in local life, using it as an assembly place for meetings with the local gentry. As Japan's rule over Taiwan continued, though, the colonial authorities decided to make Wu's descendants an offer they couldn't refuse. The authorities brought political pressure to bear so that they would be forced to part with a chunk of their ancestors' property. Around a hectare of the land was sold off in all, a good part of the original land. The remaining area isn't large, and you won't get lost like you might in the tangled mazes of some other gardens. But this part of the story is actually part of what makes Wu's garden interesting. This Wu Yuan Gongui Tang, it was completed about 1911. That year, just a few steps away from the lavish delights of Tainan's cultured past, came a symbol of a new world: a building in an ornamental Western style, covered in Baroque flourishes. This new structure, built in 1911, was called the Tainan Public Assembly Hall. Here, atop the salt merchant's old lands, public gatherings could be held, and government decrees could be read out. And here, on a place where poetry recitals might once have been held, the new foreign-style building was also rented out for new foreign-style weddings, both Japanese and Western. Mr. Ye says old photos from the period still show what these new-style ceremonies looked like. To add to these layers of history, there is also, of course, our own time as well. In 1945, when World War II ended, the 50 years of Japanese rule over Taiwan ended too. In the years since then, the site of Wu's Garden has become a part of Tainan's urban landscape, with apartment blocks around and a modern amphitheater of sorts facing the garden to one side. From the steps of the amphitheater, visitors can take in the whole view. A modern cityscape, 
a turn-of-the-century meeting hall, a gentleman's garden from the 19th century, and somewhere beneath it all, the foundations of a house dating back to Tainan's earliest days. It's a small area, but it is the story of a city in miniature nevertheless. Today, Mr. Ye says, this complex continues to be more than just a historical relic. It's now used instead as a performing arts center. In this way, Wu's Garden and the former Tainan Assembly Hall are being put to use to enrich the lives of Tainan citizens today. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. Listen! Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. In today's Taiwan Explained, we're going to be talking about the dragon boat races which are going up this weekend. And to have a little bit more fun with it, we're doing it as a quiz. Yay! So on buzzer number one, we have Natalie So. Buzzer number two, we have Leslie Liao. And I'm correct in assuming that neither one of you has done dragon boat races before. That's right. That is the truth. We look like we can handle it right now. <laughs> I think you'd be great. What are you talking about? The Taiwan Insider team. Now, I have done dragon boat racing before, but it was many, many, many years ago. If you guys do well enough in this quiz, I will show you some photos. Oh, I like from, to see those. From big a, money. From a long time ago. Leslie's perked up. He's Playing for now. big money. Playing for big money. Let's go. <laughs> Just a little hint, I actually have a lot of hair in those photos, so you'll want to watch all the way to the end of today's show. Are you ready? Yes. First question. What do dragon boaters use to propel themselves forward? Oars. Leslie. Oars? Oars. Wrong. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, keep thinking, Paddles. guys. Pa paddles. Oh. That is correct. Let's have a look at the answer. Oh, paddles, paddles, yeah. Oh. Paddles. Okay, this That's is right. very important. So paddling is what they do on dragon boats. Uh, in canoes, they also paddle. But when you're rowing, that is when you use oars. Mm -hmm. uh, Nally, can you show me how you would use a paddle in a dragon boat? Like this? I have no idea. Leslie? Like this? <laughs> Actually, you guys are doing exactly right. Are so you basically, serious? you hold the paddle with two hands and you pull alongside the boat, propelling yourself forward. Uh -huh. So the difference with rowing is you use an oar, it's affixed to the side of the boat usually, and you use it as a lever to push yourself backwards. Uh -huh. So with dragon boat, you're going forwards. With a rowing, in a rowing boat, you're with crew, you're going backwards. I didn't realize. And crew is on two sides, right? Uh, well, it or can is it be. Just one on each I side? Mean, it, uh, I think it's usually on one side as okay. well. Okay, okay. Yeah. So kayaking could be on two sides. Okay. Mm. But now we're getting too complex for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's above my pay grade. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next question. How many people are in a standard dragon boat at the Taipei International Dragon Boat Races? Whoever gets closest gets the point. The people who the team. are in the boat. How many people in a boat? 
Yep. Leslie. Fourteen. Fourteen? Sixteen. Sixteen. All right, let's have a look at the answer. Oh, wow, that many people. Twenty-one is a a standard boat. The smaller boats have fewer people. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.